Stone Ranch, Dutton. Oh, that's my buddy Jonathan. I had no idea he was doing the announcements this morning, so Matthew threw that in on us and surprised us. Uh, we appreciate it. That was a that was a great one. Um, well, get your Bibles out, if you will, your smart devices, whatever you're going to use this morning. We're going to take a detour. We've been living well in January. We've talked about loving well. We're drawing from the deep well of God's love uh, here in the first two weeks of February. And um, we talked about grief, handling our grief. Sheila gave us a great testimony of word that encouraged us during uh, the first Sunday of the month. And God really... Um, Helped in that service, a lot of people have been helped. One of our online uh, people has started attending one of the grief share programs that we announced, and we uh, plugged him into that, and I think uh, some are going to join the one at Taze Valley Church of God, and that starts in March. On Monday nights, if you want to get plugged into a grief share program, it's 13 weeks. Every Monday night, you can plug in at Taze Valley Church of God for that. Then last week we talked about trauma and found out that the word wound in the scriptures, when you look in the Greek, it is the word trauma. It is literally the Greek word for wound is trauma and that he has healed us from our traumas and is healing us. It is a progression. Don't let anybody bully you into a time frame of your handling grief or getting over trauma, but trauma does not define us. His love does. Amen. And so the defining moment is his love for us. We were going to talk about setting boundaries today. And I read a book by Dr. Cloud and Dr. Townsend. Wonderful book. I was going to use some of that. But I sometimes writers get writer's block. And sometimes preachers get study block. Just can't. It's there. I've got a lot of information on that. But to put it down to try to communicate it to you, the Holy Spirit just was maybe saying, wait for another time, or maybe that's just for me, or uh, I'm not sure, but through a lot of discussion, talking to Lisa this week and hearing a lot, we had a discussion Wednesday night around uh, the table, and some of you have heard, I'm probably sure most of you have, if you're on social media, have seen what's going on at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. Have you seen or heard of that? Can I see your hand? Uh, outpouring, awakening, revival, whatever uh, terminology you want to use for that. But it is kind of uh, in the Western culture of uh, America right now. It's on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And I think that we need to talk about it. Okay. I think we need to address it. Um, but right now, get all preconceived ideas out of your mind. The script and the narrative that you're used to about revival and that terminology, just, just clear that out of our head. Can we get a clean slate as we talk about it this morning? Good. Um, see, I'm, I'm going to give you a green light this morning. This is a green light season for you. And in that green light season, uh, after you've heard this uh, little talk, you can make the decision about where you stand and how God's going to deal with you, okay? Um, grace life is unique. 
You have a unique pastor. <laughs> you are unique. There's no two like you. You are an original. And your encounters with God have all been unique. I'm thankful for that. Uh, the way that Aaron came to Christ and the way that Scott came to Christ are unique paths and journeys with the circumstances, and it's, it's unique for each of us. Uh, we've all had different encounters with God through our lives at different stages in our life, and if I go back to last week, a lot of times that comes after tragedy or trauma. We're, we, we've had something horrible happen in our lives, and we're seeking out re re relief from that pain or uh, a rescue from that situation and God steps in and we're, we're more vulnerable and we have an encounter with Christ and then that is a defining moment through his love for us. Uh, I don't know what your encounters have been but I want to share three encounters that I've had in my life uh, that deal with. See I grew up in a culture of revivalism. I grew up where the ministry that my dad was under was called Revival for Our Day. So it was all about revival. I don't knock my heritage at all. Um, but in 1985, we had an encounter. I was 16 years old for 11 weeks in our church. There was someone saved every night for 16 weeks. Um, and during that time, I was personally touched by the power and the presence of God. I remember those services. I saw and was recognizing for the very first time in my life the power of God in a miraculous way where we saw a child who was limp in a mother's arms with no collar looked pretty much dead and prayer was made and instantly that child had collar in its face and was uh, alive and alert. Saw it before my very eyes. Not a story that I read or something that I heard. I saw a lady with a grapefruit-sized tumor on her neck from prayer. Instantly, that thing dissolve and go away right before our eyes. Okay, Now, that will hype you up. That will get you your faith built up, and it will emotionally stimulate you. And those things, those encounters did that for me. 1996 to 1998, I have had revival encounters by traveling to the Brownsville Revival. And... God did something in me personally. And I don't take those things for granted at all. And in 2011, after a Sunday morning service, I passed a note to my dad, uh, and an 11-week revival was sparked for 11 weeks. Every night someone got saved. And I am thankful for every one of those. But every single one of those were temporary, and they faded. I couldn't stay in the emotional hype at 16 years in 1985. I didn't live in that hype. In 1998, where I fell under the power of God and tried to raise myself up off of the floor for 40 minutes, it, didn't, it, it waned. It faded. In 2011, it lasted 11 weeks. But I had not what I call a, ref, a revival, but I had a reformation happen in my life in the way that I think in 2012, and I've never been the same. I'm not talking to you about your encounter. I'm not trying to get you to encounter what I've encountered. I'm telling you my journey has been that in 2012, when God got a hold of my mind, <laughs> oh, 
I felt that one. <laughs> it changed my life. Because after 1985 and between 85 and 96, I lived a life full of guilt and shame and condemnation and always was trying to make an effort to pray more and to fast more and to give more and to read more because I wanted to go back to that emotional encounter with God that I had since when I was 16. But the reading and the praying and the fasting and the giving caused me to continually search for something. 1998, I had another encounter. And let me tell you, saying I saw some things in 1998. You know, I saw some things that went along with revival that uh, weren't pretty. I'll just leave it right there. But from 98 to 2011, I, I'm not saying I never experienced the presence and the power of God in those time frames in between, but those special encounters that I had that emotionally uh, lifted me, that gave me a tangible sense of the power and the presence of God were wonderful, but they waned. But in 2012, when I got a hold of the message of grace and a changed life that set me free, I've never been the same. I don't have, I'm not striving to read more. I'm not striving to pray more. And all of those things are great, and I do all of those things. Amen. There is no strife and struggling in that I'm not struggling to sense something. Now, I'm going to share some things that are going to be a mixture of some things that I've read this week that I agree with, that I have changed some language in to fit my story so that I can share it with you because your encounter will be unique. But if all you have is an emotional encounter, thank God for that. He touches our feelings. But it's going to wane. How can you have the longevity of the power and the presence of God? Now, those who have already been experiencing something similar to what's going on at Asbury, uh, they now have a decision. Maybe it was on a smaller scale in the local church. Maybe it was a traveling ministry that has seen massive fruit through their ministry come forth. But you've got a decision to make, a choice to make in your heart now. You and I do as well. You can allow yourself to be the, as the prodigal son's brother, that elder brother who was jealous and competitive and desiring praise for his faithfulness because he stayed at the house. <laughs> or you can rejoice with the rest of the Lord's family because thousands of prodigals and sons and daughters are coming home right now. So we can make a choice right now and we can see what's going on in other places and we can become jealous. We can try to compete with them. My concern is so many will try to duplicate what's going on. Have your own unique encounter with God. Or we can choose to rejoice. Uh, Lisa said it this way and then I saw Kim posted something that went right along with it. Choose the party. You can choose to be jealous or you can choose the party. You can sit in your, your, your room and pout because you didn't get what they got, but you can also choose the party and just rejoice with them and have your own encounter. I'm going to choose the party. 
Go with me to Luke, the ninth chapter. Luke, the ninth chapter. I'm, I'm just sharing some things this morning. You're not going to be able to title this, and you probably won't even be seeing point one, point two, and point three of it. I'm just sharing some things with you because it is on the forefront of Christendom in America right now. There are revivals breaking out in Asbury College, Lee University, uh, Ohio Christian University, even Eastern Kentucky University and the University of Kentucky in their Fellowship of Christian Athletes groups and gatherings right now in campus ministries. There's things going on. I texted my kids last night and I told them that God is moving in their generation. On their generation. But it's in a unique way and fashion for each of them. Chapter 9, verse 49. Earlier this week, as a review from the sermon last week, uh, I made a comment that I said, um, we, we've got to stop calling fire down on people and start calling love down on people. Um, and then in, in that comment, uh, there was a long thread. Some people tried to hijack my, my post. That's okay. You have the freedom to do that, but I also have the freedom to respond. And I just put this scripture out there, and I want to share it with you this morning. Two parts of it. Verse 49, first of all. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbid him because he does not follow with us. Can I put that in the JRW version? John saw somebody doing something differently than the way that he knew things to be done, and so he rebuked them. And we've got a lot of people that will try to rebuke other people because they're not doing it the way they're doing it. Whether it's a style or whether it's a tradition or a preference, a lot of times we do things that are preferences uh, and then we will judge other people and we'll forbid them to do what they're doing. Let those kids do what they're doing, okay? Just, just let them alone uh, and don't touch them, don't forbid them because if they're not against you, they're for you. Amen. Amen? And a lot of things that you think people are against you, they're not really. We're the same team. We're on the same family. They just may not be doing it the same way that we're doing it, whether they're Baptists or Pentecostal or Lutheran or the, the Asbury is a Methodist school. That went over well. Just told you that they're a Methodist school. But here's what Jesus responded. Do not forbid him. For he who is not against us is on your side. When someone, if Todd has an experience, an encounter, and the Holy Spirit is dealing with him, and his response to that looks different than what you're used to seeing, don't forbid it. Here, here's a misused scripture when things look like they're getting out of control in a public worship service. People will stand up and they'll begin to declare, now do all things in decency and in order. Okay. But we've taken the word order and we've given it an earthly term. It's an earthly term, the order of earth. And so we say that order is everyone turn to 365 in your hymn books and let's all stand and sing when we all get to heaven. 
and again, see, I'm not forbidding that. I'm not touching that. But if order may not look like what you think order should look like if you've got a style or a preference or a tradition that you came from. I mean, if you read Revelation, the fourth chapter, we kind of sang that song from Revelation, the fourth chapter this morning. You know, there there are uh, four creatures that have six wings. Two, they cover their face. Two, they cover their feet. With two, they fly. And they're encircling the throne. And they're con- constantly going around the throne. And on the throne is the one who is as Jasper. That's what it says in Revelation, the fourth chapter. And there's a rainbow of emerald around the throne. And the 24 elders are casting their crowns before the throne. And these angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And here, you know what they continue to say? The earth is full of his glory. We don't have to wait for the earth to be full of his glory. Even the angels who are surrounding the throne realize that the earth is already full of his glory. Wow. So about the time you think that order should look a certain way and then there's creatures that show up with their hats turned around backwards and they got tattoos up and down their arms and earrings hanging out, them big old gauges in their ears and a nose ring and an ear ring. And they're crying, holy, holy, holy. They realize that the earth is already full of his glory. Don't forbid them. Grace life, let's join the party and let's prepare to serve those that are coming into God's kingdom. The word prejudiced has a prefix pre, judgment. And when you are prejudiced, you judge someone before knowing their story. And we, if we're not careful, who God is bringing in and who God is saving will be prejudiced because we want to point out, well, let me get to the rest of the scripture. Let's continue reading verse 51 of Luke 9. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him. They rejected him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Verse 54, I want to concentrate here for just a moment. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Now, I'm going to just be real blunt right now. There's a lot of you under the sound of my voice, whether you're watching online or you're in the building, that you want to call down fire on a lot of things. You want to call fire down on homosexuals. You want to call fire down on transgender people. It's gotten quiet here. You know, someone that doesn't have the same color skin as we do someone that's been divorced multiple times, got this kid from this marriage, that kid from that marriage, and this kid from their marriage. And let's just get down where the rubber meets the road because if we're prejudiced and then we have certain concepts and mindsets, we've had encounters with God, but if we don't have a um, let him touch our mind that changes our mind, then we'll want to make crispy critters out of certain sins. 
we will call fire down on people. If your first response to someone is that you want to call fire down on them, we ought to ask the same question that Jesus asked. What spirit are you of? Where does that come from? Because it's surely not the spirit of God. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy people's lives. I came to save people's lives. And so if your first inclination or intention is to call fire down on somebody, and see, I'm not just talking about calling fire down in a literal sense to burn them up like the prophets of Baal were burned up when Elijah prayed. I'm talking about burning them up with our eyes, burning a hole in them because we're staring at them because we don't agree with their lifestyle. I'm talking about burning them up with our tongue and we go over and say, did you see what they Jesus in verse 55 says, the word says he rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. The word rebuke here in the Greek means to censor. He censored them. <laughs> and we get a lot of that in the news today, don't we? We get censored on certain things. But he was warning them by way of instruction. He was warning them to prevent something from going wrong. Because in this particular scripture, what James and John wanted to do, they wanted to call literal fire down out of heaven like what had happened in 2 Kings, the 18th chapter, and 800 prophets of Baal were burned up. Fire literally fell from heaven and consumed the, the sacrifice on the offer, altar. And that's what these guys were wanting to do. And Jesus rebuked them. Now rebuke is not always, you know, you're horrible, you're rotten, you're filthy. It was a loving change of course and direction to get their mindset off of preconceived ideas. I mean, you look at the scripture before it. They were, the, the other group was casting out devils. If you read in another chapter, it says that does Beelzebub cast out Beelzebub? Do demons cast out demons? No. So he, they must be for us, not against us, just because they're not doing it the way that you're doing it. And then you want to call fire down on people? Unfortunately, and Lord help me, I'm not trying to come against anybody or any denomination or any way that things are doing, but we have got to come to an, an awakening in our churches to quit burning people up because of certain behaviors and especially the ones that are our pet peeves. Jesus said, what spirit are you of? I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. The word save here is sozo. It means to deliver out of danger and to place into safety. He just doesn't deliver you and then say, okay, you're delivered and then leave you. He pulls you out to take you in. He rescued you from the penalty and the power of sin in over your life. And it's not only a saving and rescuing out, it is a keeping, keeping you safe and sound. That's what this word sozo means in the Greek. He delivered you out of, he rescued you from, and he keeps you. It means to make well and to restore to health. Now, 
Revivalism is the mentality that God is over there. So watch me. God is over there in Asbury at Wilmore, Kentucky. Now, if you've been there or you plan on going there, I'm not saying that that's wrong at all. But if you're the mentality of revivalism, oh, God's over there. Wait, he's not there. Now he's over here. And so we chase where God is and where we think God is moving. This is my issue with that. That's not the gospel. It's not a God is over there gospel. Help me somebody. It's, a, it's not a better, it's not a, you should run over there to get him because he's not going to be where you are. And if you're going to get him, you better get him while you're moving. Now that's revivalism. The gospel is not the introductive requirement for you getting closer to God. The gospel is the scandal that Christ has already given you all that he has to offer. Did you hear me? The gospel is you've already arrived. <laughs> Any other belief or mindset that detours or detracts or distracts from the oneness that we possess in him will be nothing but confusion. The, the illustration, and I hope that you're okay with me just sharing like this, but the illustration that... Jesus that Paul gives us of the relationship that we the bride have with Jesus the bridegroom is the example of a husband and wife and the definition that comes from the very get go is that a man shall leave his father and mother he shall cleave unto his wife and the two shall become one that was the example that he set for us so that as we are one in the physical union and relationship, even in a greater, because the carnal mind can't comprehend it, we, he's just trying to give us an example of that, that we are one with the Father through what Je we have Jesus, the one who made us one, living on the inside of us through his spirit. And there is constant fellowship with the spirit that lives within me and the spirit that is in heaven. And there's no separation. We are not separated from his love. And a mentality that God tangles his presence, dangles his presence like a carrot on a string and just throws it all over the place wanting you to chase it is not the gospel. This, that's cruelty and causes separation anxiety. And a lot of Christians who have chased God's anointing and God's presence have been... They, it's, it's just, they're constantly anxious. They're worried for nothing. I was radically impacted by the tangible outpouring of God's presence at the Brownsville Revi Revival. We gave room for people to be touched when we came back from that experience. Things got out of hand. Hard copy, current affair, inside edition. We're all on the parking lot trying to check out. One of the greatest things that I can say that I would applaud at Asbury is they're not letting any of them on the campus to see any of it. Don't try to commercialize it. But 
what we need is for the more Lord prayer to halt in the breathtaking revelation that he has already given me everything in Christ. Did you hear me? I'm going to say it again. Because I've prayed those prayers. I hear a lot of people still praying those prayers. But we have got to have this more Lord prayer halt in that breathtaking revelation that he has already given you everything that pertains to life and to godliness. He's already given me the kingdom and he took pleasure in giving it to me. He's already given the fullness of the Godhead to dwell in me bodily. He's already given me the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead and I feel his presence all over me right now. Mm. He's given you dominion. He's given you power. He's given you authority. What more could we have? There's no good thing that he has withheld from those who love him. What the appropriate cry of those who have awakened to this work is too much, Lord. <laughs> too much, Lord. We <clears throat> so The father spoke to the older brother in Luke 15, 31. Jennifer, if you just begin to play a little bit. Look at Luke 15, 31. Look what the father said to the older brother. Son, you are always with me. And all, somebody say all. All that I have is yours. Could you just close your eyes in this moment? And would you imagine the father saying to you right now, Son, I'm always with you and all that I have is yours. It's all yours. There's a culture that is fundamentally rooted in the message of separation and anointing chasing. And wow, we finally, he finally showed up and let's keep it going. More Lord, it leads to burnout. It leads to frustration. It leads to exhaustion. Listen, you go do your thing. And I believe God will meet you even in your blind pursuit of the one who never left you. Because Romans 8, 35 through 39 says, Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and loves us still. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stop having separation anxiety. It's not a cliche that he will never leave you or forsake you. You don't have to go here or there chasing him because I was reminded of Survivor's song this morning. The search is over now. You were with me all the while. He never left you. 
please hear my heart. I'm not telling you not to go someplace. I'm just telling you the mindset of chasing God and His anointing and the over there mentality has got to stop because He was with you all the while. The search is over. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You are one with Him. He is, you know, Solomon said it this way, You are my beloved. He is mine. His banner over me is love. It was right here all the time. I don't have to go searching for it. You can have an encounter with Christ in your home, in your car, on the job. You can be stirred in your spirit, man, and it will affect your emotions. But until you have a reformation and a change of your mind that He is never going to leave you nor forsake you and that there's more, we'll have separation anxiety and we'll run all over the place and it'll be a waning emotion from here to there. Grace Life, you're unique. God wants to have an, a unique encounter with Him. Jesus. Yes. Can you just turn and kneel at your seat or come to the altar and kneel? just begin to thank him maybe you want to stand and lift your hands maybe you want to walk around the building but let's just spend a few minutes thanking him and asking the Holy Spirit to awaken in us that love that the search is over you were with me all the while hear the father this morning say to you son and daughter all that I have is yours I've always been with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for moving on your people. Thank you for a stir inwardly to be awakened to the righteousness of God that is within us. Thank you that we are awakening to the fact that you've reconciled yourself to the world through the cross. Thank you for the fresh reminder that the work at the cross is a finished work and it will never be unfinished and it cannot be reversed. You reverse the curse on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. everybody just stand all over the building if you can let's stand to our feet yes Jesus I don't know everyone personally here in the building this morning I don't know who's watching online this morning but maybe you need to take this moment, this opportunity, and you need to believe and be reconciled to Christ. The Bible says that what God did at the cross through Jesus was that together they reckon God was in Christ, reconciling the world 
to himself. So God has reconciled himself to you and with you. But if you've never believed that, if you've never surrendered that, and maybe this morning you want to believe unto salvation, believe that sozo life is yours, that eternal life is yours, and just acknowledge and thank him for giving you that eternal life which is the implications of life after the grave but also that he's given you abundant life and there is an inheritance for you to receive as you step into the kingdom of God from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son instantly in the twinkling of an eye when you believe some people would tell you there's a prayer to pray and maybe there is some people would tell you that you have to shake a preacher's hand or go to an altar or get in some water. If you want to come to this altar this morning, this altar is always open for any need at any time. But you can say a prayer in your seat. You can, in your heart, say, Lord, I believe. And if you believe that the blood of Christ cleanses you from all of your sins, past, present, and future, He's not just Savior, He's now Lord of your life and you surrender to that. Would you just confess that right now? Lord, thank you for saving me. I believe in your finished work this morning. Maybe you've not been experiencing the blessings and the benefits of a relationship with the one who died for you. See, Paul said in Galatians that there are certain things that we do that have consequences that would rob and steal our joy and the benefits of that inheritance. They're there. God's still pouring them out. We're not experiencing them. Maybe you need to reaffirm and say, Lord, I'm sorry for these things that I've done that have gotten me off track. He's going to say, I've always loved you and all that I have is yours. Step into the party. If that's you this morning, surrender to Christ and walk in those blessings. I think that there's still some that are dealing with mental upheaval and emotional distress from trauma and grief and hurt. The Lord wants to heal you in those situations as well. And we declare that over your life today. And it's a process. But allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and on you on a daily basis. See, there are instructions that the Holy Spirit will give us sometimes. And our obedience to those instructions will expedite what He's already done for us in our life as we awaken to them. and if you would sing one course, one verse, one stanza, whatever's on your heart, and then we're going to pray with people and for people this morning.